um, the message this morning. And um, this morning we are jumping back into um, our theme and, and mini theme. We've had two weeks, we had Father's Day, we had another week where we stepped out of the theme and we stepped out of what we were doing. But today we're jumping right back into um, into the theme and um, you might remember this picture, the, the master plan and um, our major theme, if you like, let me just, just give you a quick snapshot again. Our major theme is we want to be moving people in following Christ. We want to be a church that, dis- that are disciples and are discipling and we want to actually make that, that real. We, we don't want to just talk about it. Because moving is a dynamic word, isn't it? It's not a static word. We want to be people that are moving people in following Christ, that we're doing that somehow. And if we wanted to figure out how that works, um, we needed to look at the master and the master plan. And so we figured that the best way to find out how to move people in following Christ is to look at somebody who did that. And Jesus did that. Jesus was the master at that and he gave us a master plan. We want to be growing disciples, we want to be caring for people, we want to be reaching the world and our ultimate example is Jesus. How did he do it? We looked at, we're reading through the Gospels and having a look. Uh, what was the master plan? What, what did he do? And then looking at the Gospel of Matthew, we came to where it culminates, where it kind of finishes right at the end of Matthew with, with that great commission scripture and I just want us to read that again this morning. So that's that, that um, great commission scripture up there. Well, Jesus said to the disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you go, and I should have italic the as you go because that's version Glenn. Although I have found a version that actually says that, so he's good. So therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations. And now I've underlined this section. Baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely... I am with you to the very end of the age. We see it in the Gospels. We see how Jesus did it. Now, in this scripture, we're seeing that he taught and commanded us to do the same. He said it to the disciples, and through the disciples, he's saying it to us. We looked at that as you go section, and um, a quick, quick, quick reminder as you go, and the as you go was, you know, in your own life in your own journey, in your own journey with God, but even just in your own journey with life. As you go through life, have a look at what what Jesus said. And we looked at things like priorities, doing what and, and living like the Father wants us to. You know, how are we designed to live? You know, how do we design priorities? How do we set priorities? We looked at priorities. We looked at opportunities. Take them. Take opportunities. And I think, if I remember correctly, um, uh, Glenn talked about Zacchaeus. You know, Jesus took the opportunity. And we talked about having opportunities. Take them and make them. Jesus used opportunities to change lives, and, and we should too. And then we looked at, you know, making plans. Let it not be accidental. Plan for this sort of stuff. Be intentional. Make plans for yourself to grow as a disciple. And make plans to grow others, to move other people in that way. And then we looked at the favourite one, eating and drinking. How many of you remember having cheese and bacon? And yeah, yeah. They went fast at the end, guys, I tell you. Eating and drinking. Jesus used meals. In fact, he was, he was the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in a number of the Gospels accused him of being a drunkard and a, um, 
what was the other word? Um, sorry? Glutton. Use the other one. Glutton and a drunkard, yeah. Jeez, but Jesus used meals. Easy peasy, right? We all eat. Remember I said when I did that message, we all eat three meals a day. An easy way. Use a meal. You know, use a meal to, to break down the walls and talk to someone. And then Glenn did a, the last message in that. As you go, series on failure and success. Keep going. Failure is not fatal. God's got this. So now we're up to what I've underlined there. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we want to bring salvation into their lives. We want to make them part of a community in baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we're doing is we're bringing salvation into their lives. We're making them part of the community of believers, and we're empowering them to make disciples. That's what Jesus said to them to go and do this. Go and and meet people and baptize them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Bring them into the kingdom, salvation. Bring them into the community through Jesus the Son and empower them. Bring them into empowerment with the Holy Spirit. And um, all the while, knowing that this is an ongoing process in our own lives as well, isn't it? Living out salvation ourselves, being part of, an active part of community of believers and living lives of empowerment through the Holy Spirit. So today, we're actually going to look at the the red one, we're going to look at salvation in the name of the Father. And um, we're going to look at three things because we're reformed. And I think last time when Joel got up here, he didn't do three things. So I think we've got to, was that right? It might have done four or something, you know. What is it, salvation, what is it uh, that we have it and that we must bring it? And so that's what I want to look at this morning. So I did a little bit of reading this week on salvation, trying to you know, get some ideas on different kinds of definitions, different kinds of understanding. What is it exactly? And this is one, one, one guy that I was reading some things. He says, what is salvation? Salvation is the work of God, and this is important, remember that. You know, salvation is the work of God that sets human beings in right relationship with God and with one another. What we are being saved from are broken relationships with God and other people. Broken relationships. And those broken relationships that unleash the evil forces of sin and death in the world. Therefore, salvation is first of all healing of broken relationships, beginning with the healing that reconciles the Creator with those He created, God and us. Our reconciliation with God leads to freedom from sin and a newness of life that is not limited by death. So just to summarize that last thing, our reconciliation, our salvation with God, through God with, and our reconciliation with God leads to freedom from sin. It deals with the brokenness in our lives, the sin in our lives. And it brings a newness of life a new life that is now not limited by death. Think about that. That's now eternal. So that's one thing I was reading. And then I started thinking about salvation. And um, that it's kind of an umbrella word, isn't it? Salvation is this kind of group word. I was trying to find a good, uh, a good terminology. Is it an umbrella word or is it a group word? And some of you would know it like this. Some of you will recognize this. Salvation is a process made up of justification sanctification and glorification. How many of you remember that from your catechism days? Oh, not too many. 
Okay, well, we're having a new lesson this morning. So salvation is this kind of umbrella word that, that has these processes in it. Justification, and you might have heard it like this, where we used to say in Sunday school or, or in, when we were younger, justification is just as if I'd never sinned. How many of you remember that? Yeah. Okay, so justification, you may have heard like just as if I'd never sinned, is our sinful nature, what defined us as, as broken or, or fallen human beings was put to, the, to death on the cross with Jesus. So when Jesus died, our sinful nature died with Christ. And so now we're no longer seen as sinful in the eyes of the Father. So we were made just. Justice was taken care of. Where God had a claim against us, where there was an accusation against us, Jesus' death brought justice to that. So that's where you get the word justification. So we were made just. It happened. It was done. But hang on a second, this is a gift. And it's not enough to just say, just as if I'd never sinned, so go and enjoy yourself. There's another half to that, isn't it? Justification. Because if our old self died with Christ, and Paul says this, and there's a number of scriptures that says that, as Christ was raised up, so our new self was raised up with Christ, a new life. So we have this If we claim justification, we have this new identity. And I was trying to think of how do I, how would I talk about a new identity? And I was thinking about the refugees and you know, and the the asylum seekers that have lost all their papers. You know how many of them have lost all their papers and they've got nothing. And then when they actually get, um, when they get accepted into a country, they get issued with papers, and they get citizenship, they get a passport. They now have a new identity. They are now Australian if they're in our country. They are now citizens. And so it's kind of like their old life, bam, gone. And they go through a process and they've got this new life. They have citizenship now. They have new rights in our country. They have a passport and they have all that sort of stuff. And quite frankly, whilst um, nowadays it wouldn't be fair to say they didn't do anything to get it because they, they, chased, they were chased from their old country or, or whatever the situation is, the fact is, in the, in, the, in the situation of justification through God, we did nothing to get it. It was given to us. It was granted to us. Just when that, that asylum seeker is finally given the passport, here, we've granted you citizenship. You can now be part of our country. You can have the rights that come with being a citizen. You can be identified. You can stand up and say, guess what? I'm Australian. That's who I am. And you can't dispute that because I've got the passport. That's what justification is. We did nothing to get it. It's imputed to us. It's an old word, which means attributed to or applied to, and it's a gift. And now, just like this asylum seeker or this person that's been given new citizenship, we want to and we must live as a citizen. So justification isn't this just whew, justice I've never sinned. It's a sense of this new person that, that's risen up and we want to live like the new person. We want to live like the new citizen. We want to live with that new identity. We want to take responsibility for our country and for where, who we belong to now. So that's justification. Then we had sanctification. So justification, that's done once it happens. Sanctification, this is where we live out the new life, where we begin to align ourselves with a new identity and we begin to behave like a saved person, like someone who's been given back their life. 
given back opportunities, given back a second chance at doing something, given back what they lost before. So we want to live and behave like that saved person, like a true citizen. So there's this allegiance that comes up to the new country or this new status. There's this allegiance that comes to the kingdom. You know, you become a patriot. You know, now we're shocking patriots in Australia, aren't we? We're terrible patriots. And if we can bag out a leader or a queen, we will do it every time, right? Let's confess it. We are. We're shocking patriots. But, you know, we lived, you know that we lived in Holland for some time, and some of you have been to Holland. They love their royal family. Sincerely, they, you know, and they will protect it, everybody. When it's the Queen's birthday, most houses you see if you go through Holland has a little, little thing, like a little pipe thing screwed to the wall of the house. And what's that for? When it's the Queen's birthday, everybody has an orange flag and they pop it out and everyone flies the orange flag on the Queen's birthday. They love their royal family. They love their country. They're very patriotic and they will defend their country. And it's a really good example for me because we suck at it. But it's kind of like they're, they're really proud. You know, we might laugh at Dutch people. <laughs> we do laugh at Dutch people sometimes, but they are very proud that they're Dutch. They're this tiny, weeny little country, you know, that we would suggest in the big scheme of things can sometimes be seen as insignificant, but they're very, very proud of their nation, very, very protective of their royal family, love their royal family and back them in. And that for me was a real picture of that whole sense like if we live like a saved person if we start to live a sa- uh, to the process of sanctification in our lives we become people that are proud of this new life that we have we're patriots of the kingdom you know the kingdom of god and we start behaving like that and salvation is a process you know paul says we're be- we're saved and we're being saved it's a process see but the enemy doesn't want us to be the new person, does he? So he causes the old self. I don't know if you recognize this, but I surely do. He causes the old self, the sinful self, to keep raising up. And we consistently want to go back and take on some of that sort of stuff. But we have to consistently go back and put to death that old person and realign ourselves with the truth. That's called the process of sanctification in our life. That that's consistently happening. It takes time. It takes discipleship. It takes relationship with Jesus and with others. It takes commitment. It takes courage. The process of sanctification in our lives, and this is all under salvation, by the way, is something that continues to happen and takes work. You know, and that's why we, we talk about things like um, grow groups. Uh, life groups. That's why we talk about getting mentors, being part of a, a church family, why the Word is so important, why, why prayer is so important. Because the process of sanctification is what God has us in, but there's an enemy that wants to pull us out of that all the time. And we need to start living like saved people. And this is where we need the work of the Holy Spirit. It's His work as He indwells us and empowers us to live lives that reflect the truth of our salvation. There's more coming on that when we talk about empowerment. And then you've got the third one, glorification. And this is kind of really easy to get your head around. We've got, so, we've got um, um, sanctification, which is a process. We've, we've got justification, which happened. We've got sanctification, which is our journey here in life. And then we've got glorification. That's eternal life. When we join with Jesus 
and we finally attain the goal of our salvation. The work is over, the battle is against the enemy in our old self, and our old life is done, and we get to enjoy the spoils of victory. And, you know, I think it's lovely. Why is it called glorification? Because now, at that point, we truly reflect Christ. As He is glorified, so are we. And that's where it's heading. And so that's the old understanding. Well, not the old understanding. That is the understanding of salvation. Justification, God did it. Sanctification, we continue to partner with the Holy Spirit to see it happen in our life. Glorification, we're here, baby. It's done. Isn't that amazing? That's salvation. Salvation is the work of and the gift of God in our lives. Praise God for that. Isn't that amazing? Sorry I took so long, but I define salvation because I think it's important. We talk about that so much, but we don't understand really. I don't even understand also what's, what's in that. How does that work? You know, I'm saved. Well, so what? What does that look like? So, what is it? That's what it is. Now, we have it. We really do. We've been given it. And this is the truth. Paul reminds us often that when we believed in Jesus and accepted Him as our Lord and Saviour, that our old self died with Christ, we were given new life through His resurrection. That happened. It is a thing. He says, how then, and Paul says this, so if that's true, how then can we continue to live in sin and in our old self? Well, I started thinking about that and I thought, you know, however, when I look at my own life, when we look at our own lives, I see sin, I see guilt, I see habits that I don't always like, I see tendencies that I, that I go to that, that, um, that aren't great. And when I see those things, what happens? That's when doubt creeps in. That's when you start thinking about the process of salvation, where you start thinking about stuff and you, know, you ask questions, you know, is salvation in my life real? Um, and then you go to, am I good enough? Anyone with me here, you know how that works? How the head starts going, am I good enough? But we have it. Salvation is God's work. Remember I said that last time. That it's God's work. It isn't my work. Remember that whole sanctification, that process and the Holy Spirit. Salvation is not something that was given to us. It's always being given to us. That sanctification process. And that's what I love about that because I got a little bit lost in sanctification. So I thought, justification, God did it. Glorification, I'm there. Here's the hard work. And how come I've got to do the hard work? Well, I don't. We have the Holy Spirit and it's always been given to us. Salvation's always been given to us. And we need to, be, to remind ourselves and, and be reminded. That's why we speak about things in church and in our life groups. We need our community. We need fellowship. We need the Word. We need prayer to remind ourselves of the truth. That salvation is the work of God and we have it. Christ is enough. You know, we sing that song, Christ is enough. How often do you really believe that? Christ is enough and I'll help him. You know, something like that, you know. Christ is enough if I just get this sorted in my life. No one's going to sing that out loud, are they? But Christ is enough. His work on the cross was enough. And that's the truth. And as we talk about moving people in following Christ, because that's what we're talking about, that's that third thing, we must bring it. We're supposed to bring salvation. We're supposed to give it. 
You know, Jesus embodied it. Jesus, when he was on earth, he embodied salvation. He was salvation, if you like. And he worked to bring it to others. And so we get this master plan. That's why we're calling it the master plan. Because he embodied it and he worked to bring it to others. He was the example. Through the grace of God in Jesus, we have been saved. And now we need to bring that salvation to others. And we must. The guy that I was reading this article that he wrote, he wrote this. But if salvation is something going on in our lives then it bears fruit in our lives. To be more precise, since salvation is the reconciliation of broken relationships, then our relationships with God and with other people and with the world everywhere would be getting better and better as the process of of salvation takes hold. Did you hear that? Let me say, let me just summarize that. So if it's true, right? if if salvation is that reconciling thing and it needs to bear fruit, So in that salvation process, we should be getting better and better at our relationship with others, with the world, with people around us, and with God. Just to give you a few examples, our salvation is evident when we take the courage to speak an unpopular truth or to listen to others, other people's views with compassion or to help people attain their goals and to work and help other people thrive. So what he's saying is salvation bears fruit, not just in our lives, but through us in the lives of others. And this is where we need to bring salvation. When we bring salvation, it improves the lives of others. Salvation is a gift to give away. It's a gift to multiply, and and, and we must do it because the world needs it. How many of you know that the world needs salvation? We all know that, don't we? But we've got to be convinced of that. You know, sometimes I'm, I catch myself not being convinced. Jesus was convinced. Well, no, he knew that the world needed salvation. He knew that left to their own devices, the world was not going to make it. He was convinced that the world needed salvation. Jesus had no hidden agenda, did he? He was up front and clear. He, people knew why he came. He didn't sort of beat around the bush. He says, well, I've kind of come and I'm not really sure, but if you've got time, I might, you know... You know, um, if it's not offensive, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about my father. He had no hidden agenda. It was right up the front. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't fearful of people or the established order. And make no mistakes, Jesus encountered huge opposition, as we do in the world as well. Salvation is good news. It's not old-fashioned. It's not out of date. It's not corny. It's not intolerant. It's not any of those other words that, we, that we're encountered with nowadays. And here's where we can struggle. And I was thinking about this is where we struggle, being careful with our agenda. You know, nowadays we talk a little bit more about that, being careful with our agenda. Perhaps being even just a, a little bit ashamed you know, of, of why we're there. You know, we, we're doing this, but we, you know, we really want them to come to the Lord. Are we being sneaky here or are we being, re- you know, maybe even being a little bit ashamed. Maybe even saying things like, you know, we don't really want to convert you. We don't want to go out and convert everybody. You know, we just really genuinely want to help you. We don't want to convert you or Bible bash you. Or um, I was talking to my kids the other day and a little while ago, uh, uh, Joel and Sabrina and, and Tim or something went to see Matt Chandler in the city. I don't know, some of you may know who Matt Chandler is. He's a, 
a speaker, a Christian speaker, and he, there was quite a large crowd of people, but it was kind of an open gathering, so it was kind of on this, this, this topic that drew quite a lot of people, and he got up, Matt Chandler got up, and he said, you know, some of you here are not, not Christians, I understand that, you know, and they'd had some worship or something, he said, and I know what you're thinking, you know, you're all sitting there non-Christians, and you're hearing the God language, and you're probably sitting there thinking that we just want to convert you. He said, we do. And stop there. You know, how cool is that? Because we normally say, you probably think we want to convert you. We just want to help. No, we don't. The world needs salvation. We want to bring salvation to people. We want their lives to change. See, we've become the light. And the light doesn't just make us special. We were given it to expand it. To give it to others. Neighbours, work colleagues, school or uni friends, family uh, people in the community, they all need salvation, as we do. Are we convinced? Are, are you really convinced that people around you need salvation? Like really need it? You know, I was thinking of, you know, what would what be, you know, what about a kidney donor? What if you, you know, if you're a kidney donor, you know this person needs a kidney, you've got the right kidney and you could give life. And that would be really noble, right? You would be really, wow, that's really noble, that's really cool. Because we know it's going to help. We know that they need it. We know that it's the cure they need. We know that it's going to save them. We also know that it's going to cost a bit. It's going to be uncomfortable. Someone's going to cut a kidney out of me. I'm going to have a recovery time. It's going to hurt a little bit. But we do it because we know that without it, they'll die. Are we that convinced about salvation? That without it, they'll die? That we won't pay the price? That we won't be a little bit uncomfortable? That we won't sort of adventure out there? Because if we don't, they'll die. It's the kind of responsibility we've been given to use in this world. Salvation was not being given us just to hang on to it. Pie in the sky and we die. Hallelujah. We're supposed to use it, not keep it for ourselves. You know, I was reading, uh, reading through Matthew this week, and I'm going to tell you a bit about Matthew 1 in a minute, but in Matthew 25, I was reading about, you know, the, the master who gives... Um, five, uh, one bag of gold to one, five bags of gold to another, and ten bags of gold to the other, and then he goes away, and then he comes back. We know the story, don't we? The guy, the ten, comes back and says, "Dude, I invested on the stock market. We are stinking rich." You know, and the, and the master says, oh, "I like you. You can look after whatever ten cities or something." The guy, the five, comes and says, "Mate, I grabbed the five. I knew what I was doing. I bought a business. I expanded it. Blah 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 blah. And and, and we're not as stinking, but we're pretty stinking rich, you know. So well, you can go. And then the guy with the one comes and he says, "Well, you know what? You know, you gave me that one bag of gold, and I knew that you were a hard person. I knew that, you know, it would be really tricky. I knew that I had this thing in my hand, and and if I did, you know, and and I had to protect it. And I was scared that if I lost it, or if I did, you know, if I risked it, you know, if I did something risky with it, you'd get angry. So I just buried it in the ground. I did nothing with it. Here it is." And we all know what happened to that guy. He got, uses language like thrown to the whatever, etc. And I know that I'm taking license here. But I caught myself wondering, could it be that sometimes we keep our salvation to ourselves like that one bag of gold? Could it be that we just hang on? Because I know we talk about it as talents and gifts and that sort of stuff, but could it be that sometimes we, that salvation that we love to claim we like to know, could it be that we sometimes keep it to ourselves and say, well, I'm good, I'm going to heaven, and we don't put it out there, we don't risk it, we don't stick it out there and multiply it. As you go, baptize, 
bring salvation, talk about it. I am not ashamed of the gospel. N.T. Wright puts it like this. Whatever language or terminology we use to talk about the great gift that the one true God has given to his people in and through Jesus, it remains that, precisely a gift. It never is something we can earn. We can never put God into our debt. We always remain in his. We do not work to be saved, but because we're saved, we do work that bears fruit for God. I like that. Getting to, the, getting to the close here, guys. Hang in there. Last slide, I think. I think. And just like God's work for us is salvation is relentless. And I love this world, this word. Salvation is, a pa- is, is powerful in our lives and the lives of others. Now, if you don't remember anything else that I've said for the rest of this service or for what's gone by, if you don't remember the justification, you know, if you don't remember... I want you to remember this next part because this is really important. This is really important. Salvation is relentless. God is relentless in our lives. You know, you can be annoyed. Do you ever get annoyed at your own salvation evidence? Let me use that. Or someone else's. You know, you watch somebody else and you get a bit annoyed at their salvation evidence. They don't live right or, or, I, or you don't catch yourself living right or doing the right things or saying the right things or still sinning after all this time. And, and you, you do that with other people. You look at other people, you think, huh? But they did their profession of faith. They, you know, huh? And that word slipped out of their mouth. Or do you ever find yourself getting annoyed at yourself or other people? Because sin is still there. You see, but salvation is relentless. We can't stop salvation's work because it's God's plan. It's His work. And just check this out. And I was sharing this with a few people this week and I got some mixed reactions. But I was reading Matthew and I, I always a bit confounded. I always want to skip past Matthew 1. Who's with me? Who wants to read the genealogy? You know, and, and I think, oh, I got that. I've read that before. You know, so, But I thought I read through Matthew 1 again, the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of salvation, isn't he? Jesus is salvation. So I read the genealogy and I forced myself to read it. And I finished it and I thought, you know what? I'm not sure I'd promote that bloodline to sell Jesus. Why did he put it in there? I'm not sure I'd use it. Check this out. And I won't go through all of them, but it's a mess. If you read through it, it's a mess. There's Jacob in there. He stole the inheritance. Then there's Ruth. She wasn't really a Jew. She didn't feel like she was deserving of a Jew, and so the purity of the Jewish line was lost at Ruth already. Then there's David. Shall I go into David? Then there was Asa. Very, very good. Then very, very bad. And then there's Joseph, Jesus' dad. And I'm thinking, but he was the stepdad. It wasn't even the bloodline, not even biological. And in the end, salvation comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. Who impregnates Mary? The Holy Spirit. And I read that and I finished reading that and I was praying and I thought, you know what? God is relentless. There is nothing going to stop him bringing salvation into the world, into our lives. 
And here's what I want to finish with. And ironically, probably what I really want to say this morning, or what I want you to remember, God's work in our lives, salvation, is relentless. Jesus is relentless and he pursues us. He hunts us down through our bloodlines, through our sin, through our mess, through the things that we do wrong. Salvation is not going to stop. We cannot foil it. We can't impede it. Our humanness is not going to kill it. The wickedness is not going to break it. Salvation is relentless. It comes despite us and it comes in spite of us. It's not thwarted by me or by your humanness or your sin or how bad you are or how unworthy you feel, how undeserving you think you are. You see, I confess I struggle with how much sin and mess is still in my life. And it makes me take my eyes off Jesus, eyes off the work of Christ. And it makes me look at me and then doubt creeps in. And you start thinking, salvation? Really? Could it possibly come through this? But it's relentless. Many years ago, I met a young lady in YWAM and I was preaching somewhere and she came up to me and she said, I really liked your message. I was speaking on the prodigal son, but she said that wasn't for me. I said, well, how come? I don't know if I've told this story before. Maybe I have. And she said, oh, she said, you don't know how much I've done. She said, oh, how many things that I've done wrong and I think God finished with me a long time ago and there's no way back for me. You know, and I thought, but I know that's not true in my head. But I get how you can feel that. Um, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but the end of the story is she's now married and uh, she's now following Jesus and... and um, yeah, God is good in her life. But you see, sometimes we get to the point where we think that salvation isn't for us anymore. Maybe it was once and, and it isn't anymore. I'm here to tell you, and I'm here to be an example, as broken as I am, of the truth that God's work is enough. Salvation works in our lives and it works through our lives by the power of God if we will just trust it and believe it. If we will surrender and obey. <clears throat> we have it and we must give it. Not about perfection. Not about you getting everything right. Because remember, it's God's work. But if you're sitting here, you're thinking, you know what, I don't know salvation. I don't know that I've ever experienced it. Or if you're like me, where you're thinking, you know, I, I sometimes struggle with the idea that, it either re that I've even got it or that it could even come through me. Or if you're struggling with doubt and you're not sure, I want you to hear this morning that it's God's work and God is relentless. Jesus came. Is coming and will come. Salvation came, is coming and will come in your life and in mine. It's God's work. And it's an amazing work. Because I'm a doer. How many of you guys out there are, I want to make things work, but I can't. 
I can't. But God can. And he wants to. And He does. So I want to pray this morning, and I'm going to be praying for myself, but I want you to stand with me if you... Either if you don't know salvation, if you doubt, or if you struggle with the idea of salvation, you struggle with when you look at your own life, I want to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray for us right now. And that's how when, um, I want to do response for this message. I want to pray for that relentless sense of salvation to come in me and in those of you that want to stand and pray with me. Now's the moment. I'm going to pray in like 30 seconds, 15, 20, maybe 2 God, I want to just begin by thanking you for salvation and, and just recognizing that even as I stand here and pray, even that's the work of salvation. And that's because you came. I want to thank you that you're relentless. And Lord, I want to just um, lift us up before you. And Lord, first of all, I just want to lift, pray for those that, that don't know salvation that have never really experienced salvation or the knowledge of salvation or had an opportunity to, to surrender their lives to you, Lord, I, I lift them up before you and I pray right now, Holy Spirit, for salvation to come. For you to touch their hearts, to tell them deep down in their souls that you came for them, that you love them. Lord, for those of us that struggle with, with doubt, you know, is it real? Am I saved? Am I good enough? Did it really work? God, are you really there? And I lift those up before you as well, and I pray, Lord, for a reminder right now, and for an opportunity to know, to be reminded that it's your work and that you really did what you did. And that you did it for them. Lord, for those of us that struggle with looking at our sinful nature and not being able to get past things and feeling like maybe we've actually even surpassed or gone past what's possible and consider ourselves so much worse than most people and, and feel like salvation is maybe even wasted on us or, or doesn't work, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that that lie of the enemy would be broken right now in Jesus' name. And that you would remind us that your ongoing work, that your power, your capacity to reach through everything is great. And that you reach through all of that mess. That you took care of that on the cross, Jesus. That nothing that we ever do or could do would cancel the power of the cross. And that you're more than able to do a new work in our lives. A new and fresh work. Lord, for those of us that are rejoicing in salvation, that know it, that, that enjoy it, Lord, remind us that it's a gift. Remind us to be so flippant thankful for that gift and to be so aware that the world needs that gift too. And so, Lord, help us not to keep it in our pockets or keep it to ourselves, but to bring it to the world, that they too would know 
that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords, but you're also the one that loves us and changes our lives. God, I pray that salvation would be a trademark of this community, this church community, that, we, that people see that we have it and that we bring it to those that we speak to, that we interact with. But God, most of all, I want to thank you and it's your work that you do it and that you're relentless. Thank you for chasing me down again and again and for pursuing me. Thank you for doing that for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.